been kind of a rough week. Anybody else feel like that? We need God's love. We need God's power. We need God's grace in a week like the one we've just shared. It's been a rough week. It was Tuesday when the news media began playing and replaying and replaying the video footage showing the violent death of Alton Sterling outside a convenience store in Baton Rouge. By late Tuesday night and endlessly on Wednesday, it was the news of the horrifying death of Philandro Castile during a traffic stop in St. Paul, Minnesota, in a neighborhood where Sarah and I and the girls were just 10 days ago. By Thursday night, it was the violence that traumatized the city of Dallas, leaving five police officers dead and several other people wounded. I don't know about you, but every morning this week, it has felt like I've woken up bracing myself for the news that might greet me that morning, for what might have happened during the night, and praying, praying, praying for a day of peace, praying for just something that would break this cycle of endless violence. Anyone else feel that way this week? It's been a rough week. So I am so glad to be in worship this morning, because we need each other. We need each other. We need to be in prayerful community when the world around us is so filled with violence and suffering and injustice, and we feel helpless. We need to be in prayerful community so that we can seek God's wisdom and guidance and strength, so that we can know how to faithfully respond to situations that seem so complex and so far off and so near to us, and we feel paralyzed. There have been moments this week when all I wanted to do was kind of find a quiet, dark hole where I could just climb in and close the cover and just be. Or maybe find a deserted island somewhere where I could just escape from it all. And I'm really glad to be with this community whom I love so deeply. Because this is a prayerful community where we can wrestle with these hard questions, even questions that don't have answers, and put our trust and hope in God together. This week is week five of a six-week worship series called Half-Baked. We've been exploring some of the half-baked ideas, the Christian platitudes, the spiritual cliches that we toss around, they roll off our tongues and we don't even think about what we're saying. And they're overly simplistic and they're trite, but the problem is sometimes they're actually even a little bit harmful. Sometimes they have a message in them that we don't intend, but that we repeat, that actually can do harm. And so we want to reflect on these a little bit more deeply. Now just a really quick recap, this is kind of the sweep of the series. God will never give you more than you can handle. That is a half-baked idea. Love the sinner, hate the sin. That was week two, another half-baked idea. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. A half-baked idea. And then last week, Mike Davis helped us think about this one. God helps those who help themselves. Now you can listen to all of these uh, sermons on our podcast. 
They're available through iTunes if you just Google, if you just search for Hope Gateway. They're also available on our website if you go to hopegateway.com and click on worship. One of the pages says sermons, and you can actually listen to all these. So if you want to uh, hear a little bit more about how we wrestled with these half-baked ideas, I encourage you to check those out. Anyone want to know what we're going to talk about today? Yeah. No. <laughs> Drum roll. There we go. Everything happens for a reason. shall receive. Everything happens for a reason. You heard that one before? Oh, yeah. Said that one before? Probably, right? So today, we're going to discuss this, this half-baked idea. And I want to say, I picked this topic before all of the violence of this week, but let's just say that if ever there was a week that should force us to question this idea, everything happens for a reason, this was the week. So before we dig into it, I want to share some words from Scripture, uh, from Ecclesiastes 3. Now, you may know these words from Ecclesiastes, but if you don't know them from Ecclesiastes, you might know them from the song by the birds in 1965. And if you know it, let's just sing a few a few bars together. Okay, can you help me out? Because I'll tell you, the night gathering, they were not very helpful. <laughs> okay, so help me out here. To everything turn, turn, turn. To everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the heavens. A time for being born and a time for dying. A time for planting and a time for uprooting what was planted. A time for killing and a time for healing. A time for tearing down and a time for building up. A time for crying and a time for laughing. A time for mourning and a time for dancing. A time for throwing stones and a time for gathering stones. A time for embracing and a time for avoiding embrace. A time for searching and a time for losing. A time for keeping and a time for throwing away. A time for tearing and a time for repairing. A time for keeping silent and a time for speaking. A time for loving and a time for hating, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from all their hard work? I have observed the talk that God has given human the task that God has given human beings. God has made everything fitting in God's time, but has also placed eternity in their hearts without enabling them to discover what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for them but to try to enjoy themselves and doing what's good while they live. Moreover, this is the gift from God that all people should eat, 
drink and enjoy the results of their hard work. I know that whatever God does will last forever. It's impossible to add to it or take away from it. God has done this so that people are reverent before God. Whatever happens has already happened, and whatever will happen has already happened before. And God looks after what is driven away. So as I said, these words are written somewhere around 200 years before Jesus by this uh, ancient teacher of wisdom uh, called in Hebrew Kohelet, meaning one who gathers, or the teacher. He's writing to people who have experienced a great deal of hardship in their lives, people who know that life is not always a bowl of cherries. Do you know that life is not always a bowl of cherries? Yeah? Always smooth sailing, right? Always blue skies? No, not so much. Life is life is life. 2,000 years later, life is still life. So some have said that the author of Ecclesiastes is a little bit cynical, and maybe they're right. Because something like 38 times throughout the course of the book of Ecclesiastes, he, write, he writes this phrase that is sometimes translated, all is vanity, or all is vain, and sometimes everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's clear for Kohelet that everything does not happen for a reason. In fact, a lot of things just happen. In this passage from chapter 3, Koheleth recounts this list of 28 experiences of life, uh, various seasons of life, things that happen, arranged in 14 pairs of contrasts. Do you remember what some of them are? A time to, a time for? Someone, someone name one. Time for being born, a time for dying. Gathering stones, throwing stones. Time for planting, uprooting, or harvesting. What else? Time for war, time for peace. Time for loving, time for hating. Morning and uh, dancing or laughing? One or the other, yeah. I like the one in this translation, a time for tearing and a time for repairing. Right? Some of these are really hard to understand. But here's the important thing to remember. The author of Ecclesiastes is not giving us the reason why these things happen, just telling us that they happen. To everything there is a season, not to everything there is a reason. These are things that are just part of life. The author of Kohelet is not trying to explain God's purpose behind each of these things, or even the purpose for the timing of these things, just recounting a series of life seasons, and most of us are going to experience all of these 28 things at some point in our lives. Guaranteed, we're going to experience being born and dying, and probably the 26 in between as well. It's not about why, it's just about what. So when we say everything happens for a reason, what is it that we are actually trying to claim? What's, what's behind that? What are we trying to claim in that? In that? There's some meaning to it. That there's some meaning, that there's purpose behind everything that happens, right? There's a plan. There's a plan. There's this great master plan. It's like God has, God has this co great cosmic puzzle, and God is the great puzzle maker, and God can see the box, and God is arranging all the pieces and making sure they fit together, and when it's done, ah, it's 
It's going to be perfect, right? That's what we're claiming. Do you ever feel like you want that to be true? What is it that's appealing about this idea? What's appealing about it? Yeah, Heather? It kind of abdicates our responsibility at God's like planning everything and, and our life is all mapped out and we don't really have to feel responsible for our existence. And that's appealing, isn't it? Oh well, I'm just resigning my I'm 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 not in charge here. Nothing I can do is gonna make any difference, so I'll just be comfortable. Right? It abdicates our responsibility because God's got it covered, God's got our back, God's in control. Yeah. I think it also says that things make sense that don't make any sense. And exactly. that somehow we're supposed to just live with that and uh, and accept it as being reasonable. That is so appealing, isn't it? That things that don't make sense to us actually do make sense somehow, somewhere, sometime, eventually it'll all become clear to us. If we can just trust a little more deeply, it's all going to make sense. We want that. We want the world to work that way. Yeah? It's also that something wasn't for nothing. Exactly. Like if someone dies, it wasn't for no purpose. Right. There's a reason or something important behind it. There's a purpose behind that awful thing that happened. I don't know what it is. But there is one, and that makes it somehow a little bit more okay. This isn't, um, well, it, it's a parallel to me in God will give me, give me more than I can handle. Right, that was week one. I'm saying the same thing. <laughs> yes. To me. They're cousins. They're, these are related concepts, but not exactly the same. But yes, I think you're right. They're, they're, they're in the same camp. We live in this world where we have no control and... It's terrifying, and we do everything we can to distract ourselves or to cover up that fact. And this is one way to say, oh, it's completely under control. It just has the appearance of anything. You could lose anything at any moment and have no control over it, and life's going to die, and we're all going to die. You know, it's like that. Right. That's exactly it. It feels like things are so out of control, but at least we know that God has them under control. Right? And we can kind of trust in that. So there is something appealing about this. There's also something really troublesome about it. Right? How do you hold on to this half-baked idea, everything happens for a reason, in a world like the one we experienced this past week? Okay? If there is some deeper underlying purpose for the suffering and violence we've witnessed in Baton Rouge and in Minneapolis and in Dallas and in lots of other places that we didn't hear about on the news quite so much, then God has some serious explaining to do, right? There's something that's also quite troubling about this idea, as appealing as it is on one level. So the questions that we're wrestling with as human beings come from these three sort of conflicting ideas. Okay, here it is. If God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful, and God is all good, all loving, then why in the world do bad things happen, and why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is all-knowing, God knows everything there is to know, God sees it all and understands it all. There's nothing beyond God's knowing. And God is all-powerful. God can do anything God wants. God can even interrupt the laws that govern the universe, because God made them. So God could actually come down and fix this right now, and God is all good or all loving, which is to say that every action of God, every intention of God is good. 
then how do you make sense of suffering and evil in the world? Right? We want to figure God out. We want to understand how the world works really badly. In theological terms, there's actually a, a name for this. It's the question of theodicy. Theodicy. How to make sense of and reconcile the existence of evil and a loving, an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Now, um, it would be nice if I could just wrap this all up for you and tell you how it all works, but I can't. And I'm not going to. We're not going to leave today with answers to these questions. But sometimes in life, it's most important to confront the questions that don't have easy answers and just to live with them and to wrestle with them. So today I want to say three things. The first one is, everything does not happen for a reason. Okay? I'm just going to say that. I do not believe that everything happens for a reason. As uncomfortable as it might make us, we have to acknowledge that some of what happens is not actually part of God's plan. As tightly as we might hold to this idea of a great cosmic puzzle, this half-baked idea actually misrepresents God. And it actually can do so hard, some harm. We are not marionette puppets. And God is not up there, you know, pulling the strings every minute. We actually have something called free will, and we like it. Don't we? I mean, would you want to live a life in which you actually could make no choices because everything was actually ordered and planned and God was a marionette puppet and all you could do was respond to the pull of the strings? I mean, this is what Sarah was talking about with the kids this morning. Life is actually made up of real-life challenges, and we have to make choices in those challenges. We have to figure out how we're going to respond. We have free will. Which means that everything doesn't have a deeper purpose. Some of the things that happen in the world actually ca we cause harm with the choices we make. That's just part of how the world works. Think of the harm that we can cause when a gunman enters a gay nightclub in Orlando, kills 49 people with an assault weapon, leaves 53 more wounded, and terrorizes the LGBT community, not only in Orlando, but everywhere, and we say, everything happens for a reason. What's the deeper underlying purpose of that kind of suffering? What kind of God would orchestrate this kind of devastation and fear and suffering for some greater purpose? Do you see the harm that that expression can cause in a situation like this one? Does child abuse happen for a reason, for some greater purpose? Did the tsunami in Japan five years ago that killed thousands of people, did that happen for a reason? Did the Holocaust happen for a reason, for some greater purpose in God's cosmic plan? I don't think so. And we can cause harm when we insist that it does. Now here I want to stop and offer the same caveat that I offered a few weeks ago when we were talking about this half-baked idea that God will never give you more than you can handle. Because first of all, some people deal with far more than they can handle. And second of all, God's job is not to throw hard stuff at us and push us all the way to the breaking point, but not quite let us dangle over the edge, right? That's not how God works. 
But the caveat that I offered is that we all probably had experience at one time or another when we dealt with something really, really hard and it was awful and we wished we were not in that situation, we would have done anything to escape it. And then maybe years later, we can look back on that situation and we can actually see how something good came from it. Anyone have that experience? So maybe it's a job. Maybe there's a job that you just wanted to have and you needed a job and you were, you were, uh, you just were um, totally committed to that job and you didn't get it and you were devastated. And it actually caused a good deal of hardship for you because you didn't have any livelihood. And your heart was in that and you cried out to God, why God, this was perfect. I had this all figured out. Why, why, why? And then maybe five years later you can look back on it and say, thank God I didn't get that job. Because if I got that job, my life would have gone in this direction. And actually, because I didn't get that job, my life actually went in this direction. And this is so much better than that would ever have been. You don't have this kind of situation? So I really believe that the words of Romans 8.28 really are true. All things work together for good for those who love God. Which is to say that God can take really hard things. God can even take suffering and use it to create something good out of it. After 9-11, do you remember the outpouring of love and community and generosity that happened in the wake of that? Do you remember how people came together and neighbors talked to neighbors and people were so incredibly generous and there was actually a different spirit. I mean, it was a little bit fearful, but it was also just really open and full of... Do you remember that? That was God at work in the midst of suffering and tragedy and violence. But does that mean that God caused the events of 9-11 so that we would do those things? No. Those are different things. So this is a little... This is a caveat. God can use the suffering and challenge of life for good, and God can, God's Holy Spirit can weave together the pieces of our life to create something good, but God is not causing suffering, and everything is not happening for a reason. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that some things do happen for reasons. And here I'm shifting the way I'm thinking about the word reason. I'm not thinking of reason as for a purpose. I'm thinking of reason as a cause and an effect. And when things do happen for a reason, we have a moral responsibility as people of faith to begin to try to understand what the reasons are. Okay? Global warming is happening and there are reasons, right? And some of them have to do with us and our behavior. And it's important for us to reflect on those and confront those things and acknowledge our own place in them and confess them and actually change our behavior. Right? Some things do happen for reasons. There are reasons why some of the things that happened this past week in Baton Rouge and Minneapolis and Dallas and so many other places happened. And we have a moral responsibility to understand why some things happen. Maybe some of you saw the op-ed in the New York Times a couple of days ago written by Charles M. Blow. Just listen to what he says. He says, we didn't arrive at this place overnight and we won't move on it from move on from it overnight. Centuries of American policy, culture, and tribalism are simply being revealed. Our American ghettos were created by policy and design. These areas of concentrated poverty became fertile ground for crime and violence. Municipalities used heavy police force to try to cap that violence. 
Too often, aggressive policing began to feel like oppressive policing. Relationships between communities and cops became strained. A small number of criminals poisoned police beliefs about whole communities, and a small number of dishonorable officers poisoned communities' beliefs about entire police forces. And then, too often, the unimaginable happened and someone ended up dead at the hands of the police. Since people have camera phones, we are actually now seeing these deaths, live and in living color. Some things do happen for reasons, and as people of faith, we have a moral responsibility to understand what some of those reasons are. Reasons like systemic racism, like our obsession with violence and our addiction to guns, like homophobia, like global warming, like systems that perpetuate generational poverty and obscene wealth in the hands of a few. Some things do happen for reasons, and especially as people of faith, we must listen, we must learn, we must talk, ask questions, and we must explore the root causes of complex social concerns, like racial oppression, modern forms of slavery, and the prison industrial complex. And the third thing I want to say is that we do not need to be helpless or hopeless in the midst of suffering. It's okay for us to feel sadness, anger, fear, confusion. We probably felt all of those things this past week. It's normal for us to feel despair. Anybody feel despair this week? There are moments when I felt despair, like this is just too big. It's impossible. Nothing will ever change. But the truth is, God has actually given us more power than we think we have. And God actually invites us, challenges us, calls us to join God in the work of justice and peace and compassion. In fact, in the vows of our baptism, we answered this question, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. I posted on Facebook this, <laughs> this week, when I answered that question, I had no idea how often evil, injustice, and oppression would present themselves and in how many different forms. But God actually gives us freedom and power to resist those things. We have a moral responsibility to be a part of God's work of confronting evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And we don't have to be hopeless and helpless. On Friday night, Sarah and I and Rachel and maybe some of you participated in a peaceful vigil that started at Monument Square. Was anybody else there Friday night? I want to tell you just a little bit about how this went because you're hearing on the news about protests and you're hearing, here's how it went. The entire thing was led by youth. The average age of the people leading it was probably 17. The guy who started it began with words, he invited everyone to smile. And then he said, tonight is not about negativity. It's okay to feel anger and sadness, but tonight is actually about community and positivity. There is to be no violence here, he said, the 17-year-old uh, person of color. 
He said, if you came with any intentions other than peaceful ones, I would invite you to leave right now. That group of about 25 youth had met with the police department for three hours to plan this all out with the police forces in complete cooperation and participation. The march, which went from Monument Square to City Hall and then from City Hall to the police station, had a police escort. It was beautiful. These were some youth showing us the way that we actually don't have to be helpless and hopeless, and that our voices count, that we can actually do something to make a difference, and we can do it together as a community. There was so much to celebrate about that peaceful vigil on Friday night. We can be instruments of God's peace, hope, and healing. We can learn about the racialized history of our country. We can reject some of the narratives that we hear everywhere, narratives that blame the victim. And we can confront them when we hear other people using them, whether that's our friends or our neighbors or our Facebook friends, we can challenge those narratives. These things make a difference. We can pay attention to the intersections of injustice, the ways in which injustices <clears throat> cross over each other and intersect, things like uh, racial oppression and economic injustice, which so often intersect with one another. We can march, we can write letters to our elected leaders, we can talk with our neighbors, we can give financially to organizations that are making a difference. We can pray, we can act. And truthfully, we must do these things. We must do these things. The only thing we cannot do is gaze at tragedy and walk away saying, well, that was a shame. That's what we cannot do. Not if we are followers of Jesus. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, to everything there is a reason, to, to everything there is a season, not to everything there is a reason. God calls us to be a part of God's work of doing justice and loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. And God gives us opportunities every day to put our faith into action in ways that make a difference. These are the words of the prophet Micah, and the words of our own mission statement as a community. And in similar words from the Talmud, which is the ancient teachings of the, of the rabbis, are important to our Jewish siblings, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. There's a lot of hope and freedom in those words, right? And there's a great invitation in those words. So let us be people who follow Christ into the difficult places, the challenging spaces, Meet Jesus in the struggling spaces. Let us love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors, we love ourselves, and even love our enemies. We are in this together, a community striving to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. We're going to sing a prayer now, and the refrain of this 
song, which is our prayer, are these beautiful words that say, uh, God, in your grace, God, in your mercy, turn us to you to transform the world. Turn us to you to transform the world. May it be so.